So over the course of these next couple of weeks, we will be focusing on the different ways by which we can share our hearts with the community of Christ and with the world. So to that end, we read this morning from the first letter of John, the third chapter, beginning at the 11th verse. Hear the word of God. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, that we must not be like Cain, who was from the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be astonished, brothers and sisters, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love one another. Whoever does not love abides in death. All who hate a brother or sister are murderers, and you know that murderers do not have eternal life abiding in them. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses to help? Little children, let us love not in word or speech, but in truth and action. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. By your grace and through your mercy, we pray, O Lord, that you allow these words to come, to point to the word just read and to the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ. For we pray this in his name. Amen. Depending on which list you consult, the number one selling novel of all time is a three-volume story written by a mildly reclusive early 20th century Englishman named John Ronald Rule Tolkien, or J.R.R. Tolkien, as he was known to millions. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings usually falls in the list of the top three novels of all time, always in battle with Don Quixote and The Little Prince. But suffice it to say, there are few stories more read than the story of the little hobbit Frodo and his mission to carry the one ring to rule them all to the center of the evil kingdom and to destroy it at the volcanic summit of Mount Doom. There are thousands of reasons why the Lord of the Rings sits at the top of the list, not the least of which is Tolkien's attention to the classic and archetypal elements of the hero's journey. The unlikeliest of characters, a quirky little big-footed hobbit, is called into a journey to save the universe wherein he must exercise a courage greater than his diminutive self and face into the forces and evils of the Dark Empire. Tolkien, because he knew his mythology, was also careful to remind us that amidst the calling and courage of the hobbit, there must come an acknowledgement also of weakness. The hero had a vulnerability. The very ring he sought to rid, be rid of and destroy was the very ring he wished not to part with. He was vulnerable to the ring's power because once the ring was slipped on his finger, he was endowed with the power to control the world. 
Once he claimed this ring as his own, he would no longer see himself as just this little hobbit on a mission to save the world. He would see himself as having a, a, a power to control, a power to dictate, a power to place himself above all others. So in this mission to rid the world of the ring, he was vulnerable to wanting the ring for himself. And yearning for its power, he realized that he was, in fact, powerless in the face of it. Dangle it loosely on the chain around his neck? Yes, of course, that he must do to transport it to the mountain to destroy it. But slip it tightly onto his finger, and he would fall victim to its seduction and power. Frodo and his vulnerability fall in the great tradition of vulnerable heroes. The great warrior Achilles is dipped into the river Styx by his mother to coat him with an invisible shield that would, that would, but what was left exposed was the tip of his heel, which becomes, of course, his place of vulnerability and in the, and in the end, the site of his mortal wound, his, how we say it, Achilles' heel. Superman has superhuman powers, but found himself powerless in the face of the kryptonite of his childhood planet. Harry Potter carried with him the wound from the scar of his mother's sacrifice. Great heroic stories carry an acknowledgement of vulnerability, and great heroes reveal that struggle and the courage to contend with his or her weakness. Now, while there may be few of us to cast our lives as being a part of some epic drama to save the world, the truth is each one of us is participating in a hero's journey to the degree that we are contending with our own vulnerabilities, with our own weaknesses in the face of the ring, the exposed heel. We each have, in other words, our own kryptonite. The list of weaknesses and vulnerabilities we carry within us is, of course, endless. For some, it's pride. For others, it's insecurity. For others, it's alcohol. For others, it's lust. For others, it's anger. For others, it's stubbornness. For others, it's a wound from childhood. As I said, the list is endless. And we are called, aren't we, to this hero's journey of acknowledging and contending and struggling honestly with our very own kryptonite. I have a friend whom I see from time to time, and usually sometime in the conversation I'll ask, hey, how goes it? And he knows exactly what I'm talking about. And he will say, 12 years, 15 years, 22 years. And what he'll be talking about is his sobriety. And more so, he will be talking about his one day at a time attention given to contending with the powerlessness he has in the face of alcohol. He is a hero to me. He is a hero to his family. He is a hero to his friends. One of the vulnerabilities that the Bible talks about with a fair amount of frequency, it's actually something Jesus talked more about than anything else, is the vulnerability human beings have to money. The vulnerability human beings have to the power of money is associated with the slight uptick in your blood pressure the moment I mentioned money 15 seconds ago. <laughs> the 
Money is not something we necessarily want to talk about. It's most certainly a topic we're supposed to avoid in polite conversation. And even more certainly, it is the least desired subject of a sermon, both by preacher and listener alike. Because to one degree or another, we are all vulnerable to the seduction of money. Money's necessary, of course. But money has this potential of doing something to us, all of us. Carried on a chain, yes, we must. Put it on our finger, then watch out. That's not necessarily something we want to admit. It's not necessarily something I want to admit. But true confessions, I have a weakness when it comes to money. No, this is not a confession to some financial disaster that I'm hiding. The truth is, I carry my own degree of preoccupation with money. I'm sure, I'm not sure I ever have enough of it. I like the things it gives me. I wonder sometimes my value in the face of those whom I imagine have a lot more money than me. I wake up sometimes in the middle of the night and think about whether I'll have enough money to put a new roof on the house or pay my health bill in 10 years. I glory far too often in the power of compounding interest. I rejoice in the increase of my bottom line. I like the power that money can give me, and at the same time, I am powerless when it comes to what money can do to me. I wear it around my neck, but I like it better on my finger. Superman would like to wish kryptonite had no power over him, but the closer it got, the more his story changed. I've been around long enough as a pastor to watch up close money destroy the best of families. Sometimes the lack of it, but more often the abundance of it. Sister no longer talking to brother, parent no longer talking to child, usually over who's got the money and who doesn't. I've seen friendships fray over the disparity of bank accounts. Seldom does anyone wish to admit their powerlessness when it comes to the power of money, and seldom does the story of a lottery winner conclude with a happy ending. Think even about this table. When Jesus gathered with his disciples for what was to be his last supper with them, somewhere in the room was a bag of 30 silver coins. 30 silver coins that proved too much to resist, at least for one of them. 30 silver coins, the price on Jesus' head. 30 silver coins that made it, in fact, the Last Supper. Maybe you've heard the story about the Mississippi Riverboat captain who was approached during the Civil War by a cotton trader who asked him to, if he would run his cotton up the river. It was illegal to trade cotton between the North and the South. So the riverboat captain refused. The cotton trader said, I'll give you $500 if you run this cotton up the river. The captain said, no, I'll give you $1,000 if you run this cotton up the river. The captain said, no, I'll give you $2,000. No, I'll give you $3,000 if you run this cotton up the river. And with that, the captain reached for his gun, put it into the man's face and said, get off my boat. You're coming too near my price. So assuming now that your blood pressure is at least 30 points higher, let me assure you 
that my intention is not to pass judgment on what is sitting in your savings or brokerage account. What you have is your business. I'd hate for you to judge mine. Instead, it is simply to point out something that Jesus seemed to point out time and time and time again, that to live the heroic life, one must first contend with one's vulnerability. And if there is a vulnerability we all share, it is to the power that money can have over us. It can change us. It can make us do something we don't want to do, be something that we don't want to be. It can bring the worst out in us, not the best. And the person who refuses to admit that vulnerability is likely the one most vulnerable. It makes me think of the story I've told before, the father and son on their way to church, and the father handed his son a quarter and a dime that he could choose. He said to the son that he could choose which of those coins he would put in the offering plate. So the time came for the offering, and that plate came past the boy, and the father, out of the corner of his eye, watched and noticed the boy put into the plate the dime and not the quarter. After the service was over and they were on their way home, the father asked the son why he had chosen to put into plate the dime instead of the quarter. The boy replied, well, in the Bible it says that the Lord loves a cheerful giver, and I figured I'd be more cheerful if I put in the dime instead of the quarter. <laughs> We're all vulnerable to the power of money. Years and years ago, when I read for the first time our scripture passage from 1 John, I remember being haunted by one of the verses, verse 17. It comes as a question. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and refuses to help? That verse still haunts me, I suppose. It haunts me because it points out to me the internal struggle I have with the abundance I received. Of course, I give to people in need, but is it enough? And that struggle has to do in part with the vulnerability I have to the seducing power of money. And yet at the same time, I think it might also be a blessing that Jesus attempts to give us, the blessing of the calling to a hero's life, which is to struggle with the weakness, struggle with the dangling ring, struggle with the kryptonite, and to find a way to resist the seduction and instead deliver the blessing to somebody else. So what does this mean? Well, I wonder if it means that we are called to discipline ourselves about our money. Martin Luther said there are three conversions, the conversion of the heart, the conversion of the mind, and the conversion of the purse which is another way of saying that Jesus calls us into this heroic, non-defensive exploration of our purses or how we use our money. How do we release ourselves from its grip? How do we liberate ourselves such that we can unleash its power not upon us but through us into other people's lives? Maybe it's as simple as doing the math and saying, I plan this year to wrestle more with me. I plan this year to let go this much more. I plan this year to become more the hero God has in mind for me. Because you know, at the end of the day, this call we receive to live the heroic life, 
to struggle with our purses, to free ourselves from the grip. It comes from the one, it comes from the one who stood nothing to gain from it. Jesus never told us to give more because he was going to get a piece of the action. He told us to give more because he wanted us to find the joy of the hero's life. Jesus, the one who when he died, his only garment was the one the guards took off his back and rolled dice for. As if to say, it's not what you've held on to that matters, it's what you've let go of. Or as Jim Elliot, the modern day modern, martyr of last century put it, he is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep in order to gain that which he cannot lose. We too can be heroes.
are invited by a gracious God to come to this great table of hospitality that Jesus prepares for us even in the presence of his enemy. We come to this table knowing that we bring not any sense of worth that makes us deserve this table, but we bring simply truly ourselves with all of our vulnerabilities, all of our temptations, all of our efforts to overcome so much in our own lives. And we come to this table to find here the welcome reception of our Lord and Savior, who says, come and sit, enjoy this good meal, this heavenly banquet. Be filled with the power of, your, of the Holy Spirit and be strengthened to be heroes in the world, to contend with forces both within and beyond. So come, receive at this table the gracious welcome of our Savior and find here the love that he calls for us to share with the world. I received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the same night in which you betrayed, our Lord took bread, and after he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. When you do this, remember me. And after supper, Jesus took the cup, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. When you drink it, remember me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you remember the Lord's death until he comes again, and he will come again. Let us pray. More love to thee, O Christ. More love to thee. We are grateful, O Lord, that no matter what path we have been traveling upon, that you, through your love and your grace, find a way to weave all of our paths to this point, to find here unconditional love, to find here an unconditional love for the world. So we pray, O Lord, that we may sense the presence of your Son uniquely at this table, that we may know, O Lord, that you always yearn to commune with us and that you can empower us to overcome our own vulnerabilities, to become more and more the people you've called us to be. This we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Our Lord took bread.